Leadership is a primary extension of God's first commission for humanity to rule in His image. Because the world had different ideas about how to lead, Jesus came to model what kingdom leadership looks like. So join me, Julie Lefebvre, and my team of rotating co-hosts as we seek to encourage and equip kingdom leadership on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome to the Kingdom Leadership Podcast. This is Julie Lefevre, and Chuck is here today. You are my co-host. Welcome. Hello. Hey. Well, we always start every episode with experiencing grace, with trying to just be intentional to recognize the ways that we just experience grace through our days, ways that we've experienced it directly from God or through His people. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we will have a conversation about the role that worship plays in filling us up. As leaders, we are looking at a summer of trying to fill up. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about how worship helps us to do that. And then we always end with becoming like Jesus. So let's start with grace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, as I was thinking about it this time, I just really, there were several examples where I was like, people have shown me grace. And then I Mm -hmm. thought... I thought of one that that just has stood out to me where God showed me how I needed to have abundant grace mm. and understanding to be the giver um, to be the giver and that was with Noah. Um Noah's my 12-year-old son. If you don't know him, um you probably know him. He's pretty <laughs> outgoing and uh a fun fun kid. He so fun. Um he's going through a lot right now. Uh it's the end of the 6th grade for mm-hmm. him. So he's leaving his elementary elementary school years behind and going to to middle school. Mm, that's a big um, deal. Big deal. School's ending. Summer's here. Um, big deal. He's had a few friends each year not come back to the school and go to other districts, and I think mm. he's fearing that. Yeah. Just based on some conversations, we're moving. We're moving to a new house. The house he's grown up in. Uh, he had a hard time like five years ago saying goodbye to a toilet seat that I replaced. Oh. Right. Yeah. We, we, we like might've talked about that. On it. Yeah, I think so. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. so he's obviously grown in that, but, but it's gonna, it's hard. You know, he's, I think, so he's feeling all these things that he can't even explain, right. That he right. can't even express to me. Mm. And I'm seeing him. I mean, I think you could kind of say act out, respond harshly to mom, to me, snap at his brother and sister. Uh, he couldn't go to a birthday party of a close friend and mm. he was just really stuck on that. And I I wanted to solve his problem for him. At first, I wanted to solve his problem for him by kind of, you know, uh, puffing my chest out and being, you know, in control of the situation. And yeah. then I, I wanted to, Sasha and I both wanted to solve his problem by saying, well, you know, there can be these other things like making it okay, but then we stopped and recognized it's it's not okay. Yeah. He's really hurting. It's sad. Uh and what a difficult season of life for him to be in. Plus all the covid everything we've experienced for the last year, he's experienced and he's in that stage where he's becoming an adult yeah. in some ways and he's recognizing He's felt it. He's, he's been felt aware. He yeah. really has. So it was just so good for me as a parent to sit back with Sasha and think about what he needed and mm-hmm. 
and we're trying to just let him be there, be sad. I'm even asking him questions like, I bet that makes you really hurt. I bet you're hurting. Mm. I bet I can imagine you're anxious yeah. about moving. Mm. Tell me about that. And mm. instead of feeling like I need to fix it. That's so good. Yeah. So it's so interesting how grace looks like leaning in. A lot of times it looks like listening. It it really took you considering what's really behind this. What's yeah. at the root? We yeah. talked a lot about getting to the root of the react, issue. Yeah. But I thought about how I needed to respond. Yeah. And then it probably helped him to grieve some of those things and move through it better yeah. than if you had yeah. just when yeah. he knows I'm for no, him. No, stop. Yeah. Mm. He knows I'm not against him and he because can Because you were tell with him things. and for him. Right. Yeah. He can be mm. vulnerable with me in the future when he's hurting. Mm. So good. Well, my as I was thinking about this, yeah, this idea of grace, I was thinking too about my kiddos, our youngest. It's his last day of school today. And, you know, this has just been such an interesting year for kids going to school and I just thought, so I emailed the teacher because I thought, I'm, I've am i never set foot in their school yeah. this whole year. That is a that is not a normal thing. Right. And so I asked the teacher, can you take a picture with my kiddo? Because I just get sentimental about uh. the last day of school. And I just found myself feeling so grateful because I just felt like it was this gift of grace this year because last summer— when all of the race riots broke out, yeah. our youngest son, who is black, he was really nervous going into school. Mm-hmm. Starting, in, He was going into a new building, so had a new teacher he didn't know, and he was really nervous. He, yeah. he even expressed, you know, I wonder if my teacher will like me. Well, I was so grateful because I knew who his teacher was going to be, and we're Facebook friends, and so... She had just gotten married. And I said, Isaiah, can I show you? Can I yeah. show you? She just got married this summer. And so he said, sure. And I think he was curious, who's my teacher going to be? And I showed him, you know, and his main concern is, will my teacher like me? Yeah. And he was referring to just being scared that his teacher wouldn't like him because of his skin sure. color. Yeah. And I showed him the picture and Mrs. McSwain her was standing next to her new husband who was also black and wow. it just you could see the relief just wash over him and i i've just been so grateful that of all years this was the year that he had a teacher that he knew would be for and with yeah. him and it was just reassuring and then it's just been such a great year she's been a wonderful teacher so today i was just reflecting on that and just yeah. feeling so grateful what for grace. that gift Yeah. All right. We are just, yeah, we're just grateful for grace. We could probably talk about that all day. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, we could. But we want to move forward into a conversation about, like I said, how worship can play a part in filling us up. Another one of God's graces. It is, really. It is. And so often I think we miss it. We don't engage it, we don't receive this version of his grace. And so this last few months I have been sitting, I feel like I've been sitting in the Psalms 
just reading a psalm or two every day and just really uh, meditating on them, a lot of times I just haven't had words to pray. And so the psalms have just been the words for me. And as I've gone through, I've just started to notice a rhythm that so often the psalmist, whether it was David or one of the other writers, um, but especially you see it in David's writings, that he often is lamenting, and then he states a truth, and then he worships in the sense that he praises God. He states some sort of a truth about God. And so just one example is Psalm 40, and David writes that, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Okay, so there's kind of the lament that David is crying. He's something is not good. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. So something is not so good. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And so you see here that things so that this psalm came out of a struggle. There was something hard in his yeah. life. Uh, I think we can all relate. We have all had things that have been hard in this last year, if not beyond. And so in, out of David's struggle, he turns to God and he writes this song. And in that process, he states the truth. He states both the truth about his reality, that he feels like he was in a slimy pit, Mm -hmm. but then he also states the truth that he knows about God. And then that turns into his act of worship. So I've just- It's like he got his answer kind of in a way, just by recognizing who God is. Yeah. It was almost like he talked himself into, he had to, it was like his, he was coaching himself through the process. And so- Just why do you think, Chuck, that this process was effective in shaping him? You know, what what ultimately does worship do for us? Yeah. You know, first of all, I want to say um, you're really smart. And I want to say that because (laughs) I want to say that for this reason. That's so nice. Scholars, like the books I've read on worship, they've broken the Psalms down into those same kind of three, (laughs) the three things that they saw. And, you know... um, well, I probably just read all this. Well, books, so. <laughs> I mean, you're smart. That's all. So they, you know, I've seen that he was shaped and he wrote yeah. about trust, thanksgiving, and lament. Is what I had written mm. previously to previous to reading what you had written there. And um, you know, the Psalms they connect us with these on these deep levels because he shows us how to lay it all down. And mm. I'm referencing the lyric to a song, a worship song I love. Um, but every aspect of uh, it's by Will. Um, what's his last name? Now I'm blanking. Oh, um, I am not the person to ask. I know nobody's yeah. name. Yeah, Will Reagan. United Pursuit. Will, Will Reagan. Reagan. Yeah, lay it all down. It's a really great one. Mm. But every aspect of what we've all felt and and we think at times he he covers throughout the Psalms. I mean, so you're leaning into them for a reason. You've had a lot of stuff going on. You're trying to mm. wrestle with and. He rests, it's the Psalms was him wrestling out loud with God. So they feel like this roller coaster of emotion for me. And, um, and 
of thought and of proclamation. And it's why I connect to them. You know, yeah, so kind of really this real. back and forth, like there's this emotion, heart response, mm-hmm. and then a mind response, but then back, kind of back and forth. Yes. I like to imagine if, as if, if I'm reading his journal mm. is really what I feel um, yeah. like we're seeing there. And in chapters 22, he cries out, he says, why have you forsaken me? And it's this whole um, Psalm of lament. And then... And so what emotions were... Was David probably feeling forsaken? Forsaken, like that's a big emotion. He felt like God had abandoned him. Was mad at him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Has anyone felt forsaken this year at all in any way? Yes. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I have. And so there's this lament and and even a trust element that kind of is you feel like is at play there, and then all of a sudden. You know, he's saying, I don't feel you, God. And he's asking God, can I trust you? But then in chapter 23, the the next response is a psalm we all know. The Lord yeah. is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's him, he's he's proclaiming the truths about who God is and who he is and how you, we interact. And Yeah, he, because you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will though. fear no evil for yep. you are with me. Yeah. Yeah, so David teaches us how to bring our whole hearts to God. Mm. And out of that um, coming, worship is experienced. It's a relationship. Mm. I feel like the Psalms are so relational. Um, Now, you don't have to sing your journal entries to God, um, although I've done that a little and it's fun. But I believe that we, we do all have specific expressions that could and should result in authentic worship of who God is. Mm-hmm. And the expressing of our doubts and our fears and our gratitude and our joy. Yeah. We experience worship. It's so interesting that you talk about how worship is a way that we can come. And we've been talking about that off and on over the past couple mm-hmm. of months, just in our leadership community, just because Jesus tells us, he invites us to come. Yeah. And so one of the ways we can do that is through worship. And it's just so interesting because I've been thinking through that passage over and over. And sometimes I've been even just asking God, you know, how am I supposed to come in a way that really lets me take your yoke upon me? Yeah. And so I, I, I have kind of stumbled upon this idea of one of the ways I can do it is through worship. Yeah. And there have been times, what's what's so interesting, my experience, you know, you said it's in the expressing of our doubts and fears or gratitude and joy that sometimes to get to a place of worship, I need to put what's real in my heart out on the table mm-hmm. to make room to be able to then turn to God. It's almost like I have to to voice it or say it, and and then it helps me to kind of get it out of my head and heart and brain space, and then to be able to turn to God. And I remember there was a day where my anxiety was just, it was wearing me out. And I was so frustrated because I had, I kept feeling like I was coming to God. And I, I found myself just in this space of just anger. (laughs) I was so angry at God. And I, I expressed it and I wrote in my journal and, you know, most of my journal entries are, you know, nice writing and Mm -hmm. on the lines Mm -hmm. and whatever. And I'm just, 
like scribbling in my journal Whoa. with like three times as big. It's like I'm yelling at God with my written words. Yeah. And then I verbally yelled at God. I was like, why are you not fixing me? And why are, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. And then the time of worship. And then it was like, I recognize I'm reading a psalm. And it was as if God was saying, thank you for being honest and laying it all down mm -hmm. and trusting me enough with what felt like the worst parts of me. And in, in just a profound way, it felt like a version of worship, even though it, at first I was almost ashamed of it. Like, Oh, I shouldn't be mad at God. You know, who's oh, mad at God. Yeah. But really I felt safe enough with God to be mad at him. And I think we see that in yeah. the Psalms. Yeah. And there's just value in being able to express the emotions, even if they're negative. And you were living in the Psalms when this happened? Like I was. Were, okay. I was. So it kind of gave you permission it in did. some it ways. It showed to... me how in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that I have been learning comes from a book by James Smith. It's called Desiring the Kingdom. And I have loved this book because do you like it really. I, I really do. <laughs> I'm gonna probably keep referring to yes. it throughout Good. our time here. But you know, one of the things that he does is he challenges the traditional ways of learning by asking us to consider how we learn and grow and change. Mm -hmm. You know, so often our educational system, our church system is so geared toward our brains. Like mm -hmm. if we just know more then we'll do more and become more. But he points out that we are basically creatures heavily influenced by what we desire. Yeah. You know, he's pointing to our emotions and how our emotions drive, drive us. And so he writes, our identity is shaped by what we ultimately love or what we love as ultimate. You know, it's why the Take church doors in. are open. Like it's, it's I mean, it's what keeps... Because if we were able to just learn something and then change. Yeah, we wouldn't need, we wouldn't need this place. Right. Exactly. So I just have to read that again. Our yeah, identity please. is shaped by what we ultimately love or what we love as ultimate. Wow. So, I mean, that begs the question, you know, what do I love yeah. as ultimate, as the end? And yeah. our ultimate love desire is shaped by practices, mm -hmm. not ideas that are merely communicated to us. Yeah. So that's why why people can often tell you more about yourself, you know, from an outside <laughs> perspective, because they're seeing what you're practicing. You know, they know. Yeah, they based see. On what they're seeing. Yeah. Exactly. And he isn't saying that ideas aren't important. Right. He is not saying that. And he's not saying that you get rid of all ideas or all, you know, learning and truth. He says that. So often we really internalize it by practicing it, not just by knowing it. And so sometimes our practices help shape our ideas. Yeah. And we've addressed this with our value of training. It's why, you know, we recognize that we need to train. And when we talk about training, we're really talking about practicing things over and over and over. Yeah. So many of us have probably grown up using the term spiritual disciplines more, but I really like the word practice because discipline just feels 
yeah. harder. I don't know. I don't know well, what it feels different. it's not robotic. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. robotic. I feel like there's there's no the equation for drawing close to God. It's not it's not as black and white as we've made yeah. it out to be. And I think that that feels different when you say practice versus spiritual discipline. Right. So when we talk about spiritual practices, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about ways to train to repeat mm-hmm. different things for the purpose of creating new habits. That's why I like the phrase spiritual rhythms mm, yeah. because rhythm means something to me as a musician and yeah. it feels like I can mm. get into the rhythm of I become what I'm practicing. You know, right. I'm like actually becoming it. Well, he continues and he says that liturgy, so that's another word that kind of has some different connotations, especially yeah. in our tradition. Uh, we don't use that word very much, mm-hmm. but really he defines liturgy as just repeated practices. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that you do regularly. And so he says that liturgy or liturgies train us as disciples by putting our bodies through a regimen of repeated practices that get a hold of our heart. And this is what I love mm. and aim our love toward the kingdom of God. Oh, wow. And so he finishes by saying worship is the ordering and reordering of our material being to the end for which it was meant. Right. Kingdom of heaven on earth. We were created Ruling. to worship. Yeah. It just matters because it shapes our heart. It points us. It aims us toward that which we were created. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, liturgy, I just think I just think about as you're talking, I was thinking we're practicing liturgy all the time. I mean, the, we, we have do. those things, <laughs> those yeah. practices, those rituals, the normal routines, I, I think are maybe other ways to say it, but mm-hmm. those repeated practices. And sometimes I feel like we're stuck sometimes, or I get stuck, I should mm-hmm. say. And this just motivates me to continue and bolster or strengthen or re-examine my liturgies or my repeated practices because for the aim of growing my love toward the kingdom of God. I love that. And I think, moving. you know, one of the dangers of habits is that sometimes they lose their meaning. We right. do them without thinking about mm-hmm. it. And so I think that's where the tension kind of comes in is that you have to always stay in touch with why yeah. Yeah. you're doing what you're doing. So can we take a moment here just for a minute to talk about one of the main reasons that we worship poorly, mm. both in our daily lives and even on Sundays? Yeah. So um, I've thought a lot about this. You know, what, what keeps me and Westridge from fully entering into worship? Mm. And I think it's very simple and it's really sad. And we've thought about it and we've talked about it even, I think, on the podcast at times, but yeah. it's busyness. Mm. Um, busyness is what keeps us in bondage to the world and keeps us from bonding with our Father mm. and our Savior. Okay, so I'm reading Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. And so she's so good, by the way, it, it everyone. Is, it is so good. <laughs> it's such an I'm not a I'm not an avid reader. I'm not a Julie. I'm not a Jimmy, and I'm not a Dave. <laughs> but this book has been so good to me. I've reread chapters just because it moved me, and I was like, I need that again right now. Yeah. So um, busyness is what keeps us in bondage to the world. Um, 
she's showing me how I so easily lose the ability to be in this constant relationship and worship mm-hmm. with God if I'm not proactive or protective of and engaging these daily sacred rhythms yeah. that keep my life oriented to Him. Yeah, if Some we don't us, make space for it. Right. I had a really excellent Lent season, like from January till Easter, because I I had some really specific rhythms I, I was engaging every day and I grew and I felt close and I was worshiping him deeply. Um, but we're so easily distracted from God simply yeah. because we get overloaded at yeah. work at home. We just let that happen. Uh, or maybe, yeah, we do let it happen. We let those things creep in too much. So Ruth, she quotes some results from this research done at Charleston University School of Business, and they describe the cycle of cultural conformity that I'm referring to here, and they do it better than I can, so I'm going to read mm. it. They show, they show that Christians start, um, they start by assimilating a culture of busyness and hurry and overload, and that leads to, becoming, to God becoming more marginalized in our lives which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions Mm -hmm. about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And it just repeats, Mm -hmm. right? So as I'm, I'm reading this, I'm reminded of something similar to what you said just even a minute ago, that we're always worshiping something. Yeah. And it matters. We're constantly bringing our energy and our hearts to something. And I've become increasingly more aware of the fact that no matter how much I spiritualize it, Christian busyness, which is easy to engage, Mm. it must not be confused with my spiritual life or with my experience of God. You know, it's just so true. I was in a class with, and there were several pastors in there. And so these were pastors who were you know, leading their churches, and they admitted that their sermon preparation was their only time with God. Wow. So their job was it. And and I think it's because they were so busy with running the church and doing all the church things that they let their personal time with God uh, get squeezed out. So I just think it's such a... it's a such a temptation, not just for pastors. I think for all of us, just because the nature of life yeah. is so full. Well, but you know, yeah, the book that she's that I'm referring to is written uh, for leaders and church leaders, um, leaders in church. And even just I think a paragraph or two after this, she refers to a pastor who said, "You know, I'm always second sixty seconds away from running to the mountains. Like that's how mm-hmm. overwhelmed just I am constantly on the edge." On the edge. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, this idea of Christian busyness, it's one that most churches, including ours, struggle with. Mm -hmm. And uh, what matters is that the worshiping community, leaders hear me, at Westridge, it matters that we learn to spend time meditating on the Word so that God can reveal truth and we can be responsive to it. And that is the definition of worship for me, that, that we're with Him in such a way that He reveals His truth to us in relationship with us and we respond to it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you're kind of alluding to is that the bottom line is that worship takes time. It takes time to step out of busyness. It means sacrificing maybe something else. Maybe we say no to that extra activity 
so that we can spend time with God. Uh, maybe it means that we say no to a little bit extra sleep in the morning or at night or, you know, who knows, but it does take time. But, you know, you were saying that your season of Lent was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And my guess is that you spent a lot of time with God. Yes. And I just think that that's one of the things that so gets squeezed out, which mm -hmm. is why, especially when you're moving into a new season, it feels like our calendars, our days, our time just gets taken up really yeah. fast. And yeah. so if we're not proactive about it, then it's just really difficult to to preserve that space. Right. This may have happened to you as a leader this this semester. It happened to me. There were some weeks where I it was such a struggle for me, but I let go of being really prepared for group. Mm. Okay. And I did that because if if I did really prepare for group, I was going to have to remove this personal hour that I was committed to spending just me and him. Yeah. And I'd already had a focus. Like it wasn't, so I, I just, did I feel bad about it? Yes. And is it why, um, is it why I needed grace from my group? <laughs> so yeah. there was this grace interaction I got to experience as I said, hey, you know, this is ultimately the most important thing to me and you were all important too, but I had to make a choice. And so I feel a little unprepared. Can you show me some grace? And they did. And it was beautiful. And I didn't regret it. <laughs> and were you really unprepared because your heart right. was in a better place? Right. I may not have had as much then, time with the study guy that right. day, but uh, yeah, it was, it was the right decision for sure. And I want group leaders to hear that's always the decision we want them right. to make. But it's hard. It is hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's hard is that so often we want to know, okay, well, how do I do this? How mm -hmm. do I worship? Because, and we should clarify, I guess, you know, there's corporate kind of this relational aspect of worship where, you know, that's our Sunday morning mm -hmm. stuff, but there's also this personal part of worship that, and that's really what we're, or, or that's what we're kind of focusing on today yeah. is, uh, how, how do I worship personally just for me? Right. And it can feel a little selfish. So I want to say that worship begins with reflection on who God is rather than reflection on us. And mm -hmm. so David demonstrates this, like, you know, kind of personal reflection of how he's feeling and expression of that. But then he listens to God as God shows him who he is, his truth. Yeah. Um, and then he worships in gratitude out of that. So we may need to express where we are, but the end goal is to be able to then yeah. make space for really reflecting on who God is and holding on and to that. And what God wants. And what he it's not wants. About what Absolutely. We want, right. Mm, okay. Good. Well, we might come back to that. It gets a little sticky. But, um, you know, the other thing that I that I think it's important to, to just be really solidified in is that worship that's grounded in God acknowledges that he's initiating it. Like mm. it's part of who he is. It's he created us to worship him. And it was his initiation of creating us. Yeah. Now I know that not everyone is musical or even appreciates singing or music. I've talked to some of you um, and mm. that's okay. But I want to widen our perspective on what worship is for that reason. Mm. It's, Worship, as I understand it, is a dialogue and it's a conversation. It's an interaction that's that's had um, 
it's not one-sided. It's not a performance. Mm. And it's not optional. It's not optional. It really isn't. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So what you said earlier, like God's initiating this through his creation and because of who he is, he is a consuming fire worthy of being worshiped. And so it's our job to worship him. Yeah. So what, so it's our job to figure out what puts you, what puts you in the space where Mm. you can hear from God and respond to him. Mm. That's what worship is. Such a good question. Yeah. For me. When it's just me spending time in the Word each day, that time invites me often to a deeper kind of attentiveness to God speaking to me mm-hmm. and even to the response that He desires from me. And I've, I've done this thing where um, the last 20 minutes of my time is spent just listening. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've, I've studied some scripture. I've maybe meditated on a passage or a piece of a passage and I've started to just write some questions and thoughts as they come to me. So my my feelings, writing mm. them down, right? And then that 20 minutes is spent just listening and waiting for a response from him. Yeah. And so often uh, there's this dialogue and I get to sit and hear. And it's, it's, it's simple stuff. Usually it's just like, this is, just remember, this is who I am. <laughs> so let that speak yeah. to this. Um. A great song to sit with before your personal times with God is one by Will Reagan. And, and I mentioned that other one earlier because I've been just, mm-hmm. I love this album. It's a whole, it's a, it's a great album, but this song's called Not in a Hurry. And it says, Lord, I don't want to rush on ahead. So I'll listen to this before I start my quiet time sometimes, just mm-hmm. to give myself some space. I don't want to rush on ahead in my own strength when you're right here. I'm not in a hurry when it comes to your spirit when it comes to your presence or when it comes to your voice. I'm learning to listen just to rest in your nearness. Mm. I'm starting to notice that you are speaking. I got goosebumps just reading mm. those lyrics out loud because I've experienced that and it's, it's beautiful. And yes, for me, often it comes through music, but it doesn't always. And so yeah. I think we have to figure out how to slow down and give our complete focus and attention. Um, it's necessary for the dialogue to happen between God and us. It is. David didn't rush into writing the Psalms, I'm guessing. Mm. Right? Um, he sat with his heart and with his knowledge of who God is. Mm. I, I also like to move into worship believing that God has approached me and that he's mm. initiating this conversation with me. So um, in that moment, my eyes, they're often, they're often, I, I want to describe it this way. It's when the the discontinuities between myself and God become clear. Mm-hmm. The things between the world that are different and the divine. Yeah. I may find myself in amazement of who he is or what he's do- doing or what he's done. Or I might might experience this feeling of unworthiness or guilt in that moment. But the next piece uh, of the dialogue happens, and that's God speaking right into those spaces. So. And I get to respond to what he's saying. That's the last part. Yeah. I always walk away from time worshiping God by imagining that he's sending me out to live out what he's just given me. Yeah. I think in some ways I've had a similar 
experience with just this last semester trying some new things. So I will say that I have had to practice some things because for me, slowing down did not come naturally. And in the beginning, it was really difficult. And so I was trying to come to Jesus and be with Jesus and, and, and even engage in worship. And in some ways it felt like, and I'm using air quotes, it wasn't working. Right. (laughs) And then one of my, my spiritual directors, she just said, well, what, why do you need it to work? Like what, what would it working look like? And she just helped me to understand that I was pursuing worship for myself instead of to truly uh, turn, aim myself toward the kingdom to Mm -hmm. uh, listen to God, to hear from him, to even just to be with him. And so in some ways I had to really work on letting go of my agenda in order to truly worship and and then for me, you know, I am one of those people that I I like music, I enjoy it, it moves me, but other than Sunday mornings, I don't sing out loud and yeah. uh, just have never been in the habit of that. And I will say that it, it was so powerful, probably a couple of months ago is the first time I did it, where I forced myself to sing it out loud. And there was just something that happened that, that was so powerful. There was, there was something that for me, it helped me to engage the words and the song and the, even just the beauty of the, the notes, the music. And I just thought, you know, when we're in heaven worshiping at the foot of Jesus, at the foot of his throne, are we really not going to sing it out loud? Yeah. And there was just, there was an extra power that was behind it. And then, you know, I'm not a super expressive worshiper. I don't raise my hands most of the time. Sometimes I do, but not, not regularly. And I've just started the practice of doing that when I'm in my my space in the morning, or even when I'm in my office and taking, I take these little worship breaks where I just need to refocus in the middle of the day. And yeah. I, I lift my hands or I bow down or I do some of the things that David talks about in his Psalms. And it just, it, it's kind of what Smith talked about with how our bodies can kind of yeah. um, help our hearts to be formed. And so there, for me, it's, it, this whole practice of worship has, it's challenged me to first try some new things that I haven't done in the past. And then with time and practice, those things have become really meaningful. That's really good. You know, sometimes I, I really find myself uh, wishing I, I wasn't leading. Mm. And I, I, I say this in all seriousness, because um, while we're leading, we have about uh, you know, 10 to 50 other things we're thinking about um, right. from transitions to mm-hmm. chords to here comes that, is that going to, you know, there are many musical elements we have to engage in our brains, mm-hmm. but you guys get to be out there and you don't have to think about any of that. 
Mm. It's the reason I, I do the same songs as often mm. as possible, especially if they're connecting with like the overarching message of what God's doing at Westridge. Right. And it's, it's so I'm a little jealous that you guys get to just sit out there and just really take the words in. And I get to take the words in. That's not that I don't get to, but it's it's just not as easy. It is, yeah, um, it's different. And uh, so that's so for me, um, you know, often when I'm worshiping outside of Sunday morning, I'm not. I don't just pick up my guitar all the time and play. Often it's just re- putting yeah. my headphones on and and letting something wash over me and taking mm-hmm. in the lyrics. So, you know, the relational aspects of worship with others are similar. I do want to say. There's something different um, between our personal worship of God, though, um, mm-hmm. and this this corporate worship. Yeah, and it's a gift. I really believe that it's mm-hmm. a gift. I'm moved often by this gift because as I'm up there leading and I look out, I believe that the church is this. It's just simply a beautiful place where God's people, so where He and and His people can be in m- meaningful relationship with one another. Our worship of God isn't meant to be kept to ourselves. I believe that. And, uh, you know, we are created for connection. We say that a lot around here. I believe that worship on Sundays is meant to connect us. Mm -hmm. Something happens to me when I look out and make a connection. Um, I look out into the eyes of those that I've walked through life with that week. I know where they're at and what they're experiencing. And I might be singing a lyric and I think of them and I look over and we make a connection and it deepens in me God's goodness, His faithfulness, is the trust that's required in the situation or whatever it is. Um, the words we're singing connect us um, to these incredible traits of who God is. And we feel them. Like I, I begin to feel them. We do. You know, I've one of the things that I have just really drawn from the Psalms over the past few months is exactly what you just said that these words and the process of worship is more than just an expression of what already is. I think for so long, I've always viewed worship as kind of the overflow of what already is Mm -hmm. in my heart or already is established, or, you know, it's kind of a, the end result of something. But as I read through these Psalms and I really focused on how David was struggling at this point, I saw, I started to see them more as practices that were training him. It was in, in process. So David was saying, I will fear no evil for you are with me, but he probably didn't feel that in the moment that he wrote it, he was training himself. He was forming himself with his worship. Yeah. It's what Smith writes about in his book. Mm-hmm. He's saying that worship is is forming us. These habits are the practice of training yeah. that will change us. And so over these past four months when, you know, often I haven't felt like worship or if we go in on a Sunday morning and we don't feel like worship, it's okay because this is a training time. Yeah, not only is it okay, but it's important. (laughs) Jesus says, come. And a version of coming is worshiping because he knows it will mold us. It'll change us. Smith writes that that worship is an invitation to participate in the life of the triune Mm. God, Mm -hmm. to dwell with him, to be with him, to participate in 
by forming ourselves to be more like him. And we do it by just through the act of worship. I just think, ah, you know, the whole point of rituals and liturgy, whatever word you want to use, rhythms, practices, whatever, is to create a powerful environment of God-centeredness. Yeah. You know, it it worship moves us from worshiping ourselves to uh it or it shifts the object of our worship. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. we worship something all the time. And this type of the type of worship that we're talking about helps us aim toward the kingdom of God. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, when we sing about, it's hard though, because when we sing about who we are, and there are some songs where where the lyrics are primarily focused on who we are yeah. or how God sees us or what he wants for us. Yeah. You know, does it lead us to a deeper gratitude and a humble acceptance of his profound love for us and his mm-hmm. view of us, his creation, his reason for creating us? Or do we end up making that about ourselves by, by um, letting it make us feel better to cover up some shameful or broken part of us. You know, it's a fine line, I guess is all I'm saying. And it's not one that I've always done well. Um, But I think that it's important for us in those moments, if we recognize it, to just lay our whole hearts down and even confess that in the moment. Like let that drive us to a more dependent form of worship on him that's That's God-centered. And it's okay to be in process, yeah. even in the midst of worship. Yep. Often worship might reveal something that needs to be laid out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, our desire is that Westridge would become a place filled with people who worship. Yes. <laughs> we just, when we think about worship, we think, you know, you can worship God with everything. You can worship with your jobs, you can worship through throughout your day. It doesn't have to be even a set aside time. It, it really is a posture of the heart. And so really the goal of this summer is mm. to find space for us to worship, to come into his presence, to help us to come face to face with the living God to help us to become God-centered. And so that's why we're offering these spaces of being with God. We hope if you haven't signed up for one or two Mm -hmm. or all of them, we would love for you to join us. We're going to be reading through the book, Sacred Rhythms. And, you know, there's, you can read through it if you want. You could also just show up and come and be with the creator of our universe, because that's what's going to make us more like him, which is what we always love to end on. So how does make, how does worship make us more like Jesus? Well, I'm just going to quote one more time Mm -hmm. from Smith's book (laughs) that he writes that worship trains us to be a peculiar people who are citizens of another city and subjects of a coming Mm -hmm. king. And I think we've alluded to why it does that. Worship trains us because it helps us to lay down, to be real about where we are. It helps us to be honest. And sometimes I think our honesty is a form of worship, but then it creates space for us 
to really turn our eyes to our coming King and to to prepare us for mm-hmm. the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Mm-hmm. It helps us to become less about me and more about God. And so Psalm 95 verses six and seven says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Mm. And so I think we have a couple of to-dos, some some things that we can take away from this this uh, from this yeah. podcast is that you know we just need to acknowledge that part of training needs to involve worship. Yeah, yeah. And David showed us, right? He, did. he showed us that. So so his training, the training of his heart rooted in worship. It looked like a few things um, that stood out to me. Writing Psalms is one of them. Yeah. And I think that um, God has is, is used numerous people in the Old Testament to demonstrate for us that we should be writing songs of praise that come out of our stuff. And so when was the last time you wrote your heart to God? Mm. Your doubts, your questions, your frustrations, your joys, your praises. The ways that you've seen God. Yeah. The ways you haven't seen God. Yeah. All of the in-between. Yep. Mm. And I, I think that, you know, what comes out of that kind of vulnerability and openness with the creator of the world, your savior, when you're, when you're fully engaging him, they're, they're songs of praise. Mm. Songs of praise come out. And I think that God, I've often talked to the worship team about the songs that, the stories that God's writing at Westridge or the songs that he desires to write. And I feel like we've probably missed a lot of them. Mm. I probably have. And, uh, and I'm not talking about only amidst seasons of joy, but, but often in response to his fathering us through trials. And so mm-hmm. I, there are some things I've written recently that I'm just like, maybe that's a song that Westridge will worship with someday, but I would challenge and encourage you to believe, take the time to sit mm-hmm. with your words, your response to him, and let it become praise. Yeah. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us for this conversation. We hope that this summer will become a time where you can find ways to worship. So thanks for joining us. We hope you will join us again next time. And may His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.